0: everyone and welcome to sugar pills your practical guide to self-care i'm your host candy washington and i can't wait to help you lead a more joyful life so let's get started on this week's episode welcome back to sugar pills, a practical guide to self-care. So if you're listening on the podcast, be sure to follow this podcast, subscribe and share with a couple of friends and give us a rate and review. And we will send you a free self-care goodie. Also, if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, be sure to subscribe and like, it really helps me with algorithm and bring you guys amazing, amazing content. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest today, whom I'm super excited to speak with, um, especially regarding some of the uh, things that us girls talk about behind closed doors and sort of getting the shame and stigma out of it. So everyone listening, please welcome Dr. Steve Yu. He's a Southern California-based surgeon specializing in minimally invasive gynecological surgery, or MIGS and vaginal rejuvenation at the Rock Surgery Center in Newport Beach. In 2008, he finished his residency at Case Western Reserve University, one of the nation's leading research universities. He took his expertise in MIGS to UCLA, where he worked as an associate professor. Dr. Yu is also experienced in vaginal rejuvenation and minimally invasive treatment for urinary incontinence. We'll get into all of that during our time together. A native of California, Dr. Yu spends his leisure time cycling, surfing, and MMA. And if you guys can see him, he has some cool tats. So just because he's a surgeon, that doesn't mean he doesn't have his own personal life. And we could talk about that as well. Um, And he also enjoys his two boys, Another passion for Dr. Yu is cooking for friends and family at home in his professional kitchen and two outdoor kitchens. And that I'm super excited about. (laughs) Who doesn't want to uh, cook and get into it? So thank you so much, Dr. Yu, for joining us.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah. So I think we could kick off with Maybe explaining what minimal invasive surgery is. I know we've said a lot of big words, a lot of buzzwords. So for everyone listening, can you just break down what exactly that is versus maybe a more invasive surgery?
1: Yeah, sure. So traditionally, uh, most surgeries and most gynecologic surgeries have been done what we call open or abdominal, which means through a large incision. So, for example, um, my, my own mother's had a hysterectomy and they made an incision from her belly button all the way down to her pubis. Mm-hmm. So, we're talking a huge incision. And so, now with the advent of and the advances in my fiber optic cameras, mm-hmm. we can make tiny, tiny incisions, usually hidden in the umbilicus, and we can go in with a camera and do all the surgeries that we used to do with big, large incisions. So mainly that's what's called minimally invasive. Um, and also we, with the advent of the camera as well, we can go in and take care of problems that are in the inside cavity of the uterus without making any incisions at all.
0: That's great. And, and particularly being a woman of color, and I know a lot of women of color, when we have surgery or anything that's invasive or scars our tissue, it will keloid. So is this a really good option to prevent that from happening to particularly women of color? And I know that we'll also be talking about fibroids, which I know um, also disproportionately affects women of color as well.
1: Yes, for for keloiding, uh, very much true. I mean, if we're talking about uh, an incision that could be greater than than a foot long, traditionally, when we're making decisions about one centimeter or less uh, greatly minimize the chance of having keloids, absolutely.
0: Yeah, so that's definitely something that we should um, think about. And then as we were talking about fibroids, um, over 26 million women between the ages of 15 and 50 have uterine fibroids. So I first wanted to see what are some of the symptoms that we should be looking out for um, that we may not know might be caused, might be caused by uterine fibroids?
1: Well, some of the most common symptoms would be heavy menstrual bleeding. Mm-hmm. And if it grows large enough, um, the, the woman will have bulk symptoms. And what I mean by that is, uh, for example, let's say the fibroid is pressing on the bladder. Well, the bladder has a very elastic skin to it, and if it stretches, or, or if you push the bladder at all, that sends a neural message to your brain saying that I have to urinate. So, women with urinary frequency, Um, One of the causes may be a a fiber that's pressing on it. Um, Many times women have lower back problems and if the fibroid is pressing against what we call the sacral plexus, where all the nerves are, that can cause back issues. And if it really just gets really too large, um, they have uh, uh, very much pain and discomfort with intercourse. And at some point, it starts to show if it gets larger and they, they appear as if they're pregnant.
0: Wow. So, if we as women, if we have those symptoms, and say we do go to our doctor and we're diagnosed with having fibroids, like I know you just talked about your mother having a hysterectomy, which then renders us sterile or no longer to have children, um, and just other complications that can go along with that. So, what are some alternatives that you have come up with, and for us, if we find ourselves in that unfortunate position where? we're facing fi- uterine fibroids, and we're weighing des- the decisions on the best way to heal ourselves.
1: Yeah, so my, my entire practice philosophy and, and my career long work and, um, is in uterine sparing minimally invasive surgery. So I try to avoid hysterectomy almost at all cost. Um, of course, there are certain very few absolute indications for a hysterectomy. The vast majority of the time, a hysterectomy does not have to be done. So some of the alternatives would be uh, removing the fibroid. So another word for a fibroid is a myoma. And ectomy means to remove. So I perform a lot of myomectomies. And again, traditionally, uh, most myomectomies were performed with a large incision and we call those abdominal myomectomies. But I perform these laparoscopic, which is through a tiny camera through the belly Uh, We also perform this hysteroscopic, which is with no incisions at all, and going straight in through the cervical canal and into the uterine cavity, if the fiber is there in that location. Mm -hmm. And we also perform it robotically. Um, There are other ways of treating fibers without removing them at all. Um, There's a relatively new procedure called assessa, uh, which is a, a type of laparoscopic surgery but we use a, a small needle to go inside of the fibroid. And it's ultrasound guided, so it just tells us exactly where we're at. And we deploy an array which kind of looks like fingers coming, come, kind of coming out at you. And these tiny arrays go inside of the fibroid and heats the fibroid. And using an energy source called radio frequency, we melt the fibroid. So the fibroid doesn't go away, but it prevents it from growing. And, it, and we often we see about a fifty percent shrinkage in the fibroid, so that's another method. Um, other methods for women who are done childbearing are uh, procedures such as uterine artery embolization, and there's other procedures called a high uh, focused high frequency ultrasound that can do it as well. And we have a slew of medications that could also treat fibroids.
0: No, that's really great to know. And then, so just for everyone who's listening, if you do find yourself facing that, know that a hysterectomy should be the last resort and not the first resort. And as Dr. Yu um, went through us went through for us, you know, various options of less invasive and more minimally invasive options that you have. So if you have a doctor and their sort of default is that I would definitely suggest reach out to Dr. Yu. All of his contact information is in the show notes um, and he's uh, located in Newport Beach, but everything is digital and online. So even if you're not there, feel free to call the office or shoot them an email. We'll have all of their contact information in the show notes, but just know if you find yourself facing this hysterectomy is the last resort, not the first one. And we've had everything that he said, you know, we could have the robot go in, we could have the cameras go in, we could do the um, ASASA, I believe that's what it was called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nor that. can go in and essentially heat the, the fibroid to not, Um, erase it, but to minimize it, to shrink it, to get it smaller and to stop it from growing. So there are a lot of options out there prior to doing a hysterectomy. And so, oh
1: yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, while we're talking about hysterectomy, I just want um, you and and our audience to know that in our nation, um, there are over 600,000 hysterectomies that are performed every year. Um, that's only second to a cesarean section. So that's the second most common surgery that a woman receives. And vast majority, over 90% of the time, it's not due to cancerous reasons, which means most of those times it could be avoided. Mm-hmm. And there are consequences to a hysterectomy that um, that we've learned over the past five years or so that we haven't learned before. Um, the, although the ovary receives its own blood supply. And we're not talking about removing the ovary at this point. The ovaries are connected to the uterus. And then the thought is it's getting some of its blood supply from the uterus. So if you perform a hysterectomy, now we're learning that women go into menopause 3.7, almost four years sooner than their natural time. Mm-hmm. And after a menopause, um, women have a whole slew of medical um consequences that we're learning now that we've never known before um, a, another staggering fact that I like to add is that once a woman has surgery to get a hysterectomy depending on what study you read 40 to 70 percent of the time the doctor will remove a woman's ovaries for no reason at all um, and, and that to me is staggering that I mean that that puts the woman just straight into menopause yeah and often this is done when a woman is the when women um, are
0: in their 30s, 40s. Wow. Yeah. And I think you bring up a lot of really great points that we should um, highlight because I know I'm, I'm learning as you're speaking. So I want to make sure that everyone listening um, is catching these gems that you've been dropping. I think the first one is that great distinction between exactly what a hysterectomy should be and what it shouldn't be. So it shouldn't be removing the uterus and the ovaries. The, pro- the procedure really should just be removing the uterus.
1: Yes, that's correct. That's correct. But, um, but often when that's scheduled, mm-hmm. um, a surgeon will uh, just ha- kind of have this mentality, well, since we're in there, we should remove the ovaries too. Um, and that that practice is still going on today. Uh, let me just uh, counter that to um, to a man. I know almost I, I don't know a single man out there that has had their testes removed. Uh, a man could have testicular cancer, mm-hmm. and the first thing that the oncologist or the urologist would do would not be to remove the the, the 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 testes. They'll try chemotherapy first. They'll try everything. To save a man's testes. Contrast that to a woman. Um, we see women getting their ovaries removed all the time for very little to no reason at all. So yeah, that's just one point of it. Yeah, one one message that I like to send.
0: I love that, and not to get too too deep into it, but just what came up for me when you were talking. Do you think a large part of that is because the majority of the surgeons doing these uh, procedures are men? So they don't have the lived experience of what it means to be a woman and to have the hormones and everything that happens within the, like the woman's physical body. So they identify with men more because they can empathize and being in that situation where it's like, if it were my testes, I want to make sure I do everything I can to save them because they see the value in that. And they've had that lived experience, whereas they may not have that same lived experience as a woman would. And so- I think I think it could be that it could be like unconscious um, you know not sexual but like sexist biased. you know it's not intentional, but it's oh well, we're in here, yes does yank them out. They don't have it. They don't know what that repercussions physically feels like in that lived experience. And then I also think um, just hearing you you talk about it um, just for my own knowledge and for everyone listening women, it's a really good reminder to be your own self advocate. You know, do your research. Talk to knowledgeable and compassionate doctors like Dr. Steve Yu. You know, talk to the doctors who have a holistic perspective on like the female body and the male body and he is totally an expert in this space so that you know, well what a, what should a hysterectomy actually be? And then with your doctor, if it's not Dr. Steve Yu, which it should be, but just in case it's not You can then go in and say, hey, I know what this procedure is, and these are the things I'm consenting to. So when you get in there, you do not have my consent to randomly remove my ovaries just because I'm opened up on the, you know, on the slab or on the table. These are the exact things that I'm consenting to. So educate yourself, you know, find a doctor that is knowledgeable and compassionate, Dr. Steve You or someone like him. And then be your own advocate and know exactly what you are and are not consenting to before you go under the knife. Because so I think that's a really good reminder because I don't think I knew that a hysterectomy wouldn't take the ovaries. I, I knew it was the uterus, but I think in my mind, I sort of equate, I know the difference, but I sort of equated the two, if that makes sense. That's right, everyone. So just be your own self-advocate and find compassionate and knowledgeable doctors like Steve, you. And speaking of being knowledgeable, compassionate, and learning about new procedures, um, one procedure that I heard about based on the Real Housewives <laughs> um, is vaginal rejuvenation. Like I've actually partnered with um, Vicki Gumbelson, who's on the, um, the Real Housewives of the OC, um, and I know she's talked about it. I know other, wife, uh, other housewives have talked about it as well. So do you wanna kind of explain to us what that is and, and to get some true knowledge, not just sort of a pop culture knowledge that we get about it?
1: Sure. And this is another subject I feel very um, passionate about because um, it's really through my education and my kind uh, um, evolution, um, not only as a physician, but as an individual, where my attitude about it has changed drastically. Um, when I was a associate professor at UCLA, very academic center, uh, we used to uh, view doctors doing this in Newport Beach, Beverly Hills. And we used to kind of frown upon this largely due, due to our ignorance. And what has really changed my mind is that if you're doing something that is really uh, benefiting and affecting a woman's lives in a positive way and changing their whole outlook and their quality of life. Um, and, and due to that reason, I believe that it is a very important surgery for um, the select candidates who, are, who would actually benefit from it. So there's many things um, that are kind of clumped into this umbrella term of batch bachelor rejuvenation. Um, the simplest would be a labioplasty. So the, um, the labia minora, um, a lot of women are not happy with the appearance of it. Um, either it's too long or shaped irregularly, or sometimes it's long and women have problem exercising, wearing tight clothing, intercourse can become uncomfortable. So we can trim it to the sh- to the shape and size that's comfortable for the woman. Um, we can also do that for the labia majora, which is kind of the outer part, which is the hair bearing part as well. Um, another part, another thing that we do for a vaginal rejuvenation, if they're candidates, it's often after childbearing, a woman will complain that they're not tight enough. So we can tighten not just the opening, but we can repair the, um, well, let me back up a step. Um, after childbe- uh, childbirth, sometimes what could happen is the woman could have a pelvic organ prolapse. So that's either their bladder or their rectum protruding out of their vaginas. So we can reconstruct the entire inside to make it a normal vaginal canal again. And if you want tightening involved in that, we can do that as well.
0: Wow. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that last one kind of like took me for a shock. Like I'm not a mother, I've never given birth. So having all of the postpartum things that happen to your body can be a little intimidating, but it's great to know that when that happens, there are doctors like you who are able to help us with that. And I would totally agree with what you're saying. I think that there was such, I think there was two things around it. I think it was shame and stigma. So there was sort of this, I think for the women, at least, there was shame around talking about, you know, what does my vagina look like? Why does that matter? Like, what is the quality of my sex life? And, you know, there's like a shame around and embarrassment sort of talking about that. And then I think the stigma came with how it always is talking around women's reproductive products and sexual products. So I think that it was a big combination between um, shame and stigma. So I think it's great that you are sort of debunking those things and you're normalizing a woman having the choice to say, hey, I want my body to look this way and I want to be able to enjoy certain activities that are supposed to be pleasurable as well for me as well as for my partner. So I think it's really great that you um, are doing that. And I think my perspective on like any plastic surgery or elective surgery, that that always is kind of subjective, because for some person, it might not be elective to them. It might really be something that will add to the quality of your life. And I think that kind of redefining what that means is important in this space, because if my well-being to me is really important, then this, you know, surgery isn't elective To me, it's something that I really want to do. So with that, I know that with plastic surgery, they do a lot of consultations around body dysmorphia. They want to make sure that people aren't, you know, you're going in for maybe like a little bit of a nose shave, but then you end up having 20, 30, 50 surgeries and it just kind of gets out of hand. So what does that consultation look like with the person who wants to do a vaginal rejuvenation to make sure that their mindset is in the right place where it's, Hey, this is my body. This just is just something that I personally want to do to feel better about myself. I'm already confident, but this is just my choice for me Versus someone who might be suffering from like a body dysmorphia or maybe another issue where they're using the surgery sort of as a as a band aid and it's a symptom of something bigger than what it should be.
1: You know, um, unfortunately um, for my job, um, it's a little bit easier than trying to uh, address somebody with a with a body dys- dysmorphic issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, my my, my consultations are an hour long. I, I, I sit down with the patient in my office, um, really just try to get to know them and see what's really bothering them. And during the examination, um, they tell me exactly what they're not happy with, and they tell me what how they would want it to appear. So it's usually a, a labial mm-hmm. and there are times where. Um, Patients will say, well, I want a lot of the trimmed off. And um, there are some surgeries that I refuse to do because I have to explain to our patients that, well, you need some of the labia, uh, a menorah there. It serves a function. It serves a purpose. Um, it, you know, it keeps the vagina moist. It keeps it non-irritated. So sometimes patients want things that I think medically it's not beneficial for them. So for those patients, I would educate them um, and I would steer them away from doing that type of surgery. Um, other cases, it's pretty straightforward. I examine them and their bladder is coming out. That needs to be fixed. So, I mean, that's not cosmetic at all. I mean, it's very, it's, it's a, you know, it's a medically necessary surgery. And um, likewise, if the rectum's coming out, that needs to be addressed. Um, so, so a lot of times it's not really dealing with body dysmorphism is just really seeing what they want and seeing how that can benefit their lives. Um, and, and another thing that, um, that we don't talk about a lot is, um, as women age, um, as we all age, um, (laughs) really, uh, skin tends to sag a little bit. So for our older population, um, The labia majora, the outer part, the hair bearing part, tends to kind of be saggy, just like, well, trust me, men are the same way in other parts, you know, (laughs) (laughs) know, we all are um, as we age. And if they want some of that skin reduced for their own self-confidence, and I feel that it's going to cause absolutely no medical harm or dysfunction in their daily lives, then I'll be happy to perform that type of procedure for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That it, it's good to hear that you, that you have um, a clear point of view and perspective when you have, when you have people come in and it's very, what are you looking for? What will make you happy? And then let's just look at what actually is going on and then find the best solution for you. So I love, I love that. Um, and then again, the situation with the, the rectum or the bladder coming out, mm-hmm. that to me just like blows my mind that, that happens to like women's bodies and it's just a good reminder to to educate ourselves more on what can happen to the body and to not to be ashamed to speak up and to ask questions and to be vulnerable you know because i'm like how come i'm just hearing about this i have four sisters i have a mother i have so many friends like a lot of them have children and i'm sure a lot of them are probably suffering in silence or they're just or they got it done, but they're not talking about it, you know? So it goes back to that shame aspect of it where it's, you can be surrounded by women who all have had children and I'm sure their body has had different things happen to it, but no one's talking about it, you know? So I think it's really good to have those conversations because then you even realize like there are options like, well, did you know that there is something called vaginal rejuvenation? If this is, you know, hindering the quality of, you know, your life, there are actually options for you because people may not even know it about it. So what are some other things that people come in your office for that there might be embarrassment around? Like, I think it was vaginal incontinence or
1: you're oh,
0: incontinence sure. and things like that. So what are some other things that we should be talking about, but we're not talking about them enough?
1: Sure. I mean, this is actually, um, in my opinion, a far more common issue that women just learn how to deal with um and just kind of stepping back at one moment um i think why so many women would just allow their doctors to perform a hysterectomy um is because and and, and you know the, the question of, you know you had an earlier question why is that happening obviously because it's the male-dominated bill well i, I think that is really multifactorial. it's a very very interesting question mm-hmm. well now ob is not a, a male-dominated bill all but most of our new grads are women but, women. But historically, you're very correct. All of the OBGYNs were male. Mm-hmm. And so why are we just removing uterus and, and, and performing so many hysterectomies? I think one is um just primitive knowledge, lack of training, um, and 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 just really and 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 it's been like that for years, so it sounds like a, a tradition where women even now say, well, my grandma had a hysterectomy, my mother had a hysterectomy, so I think it's okay if I just go have a hysterectomy.
0: Right.
1: Uh, maybe some of that has to do with, you know, uh, when it was a male-abominated uh, specialty, where men maybe just did not value or didn't understand what they were doing when they were removing uterus and ovaries and without really thinking about the health consequences, so I'm just gonna seg- you know, kind of segue back into you know our conversation now with the urinary incontinence. Um, what my point here is, I-, I think because so many women have it, and they feel that it's okay, it's just part of aging, or this is just what happens when um, after I have a child. And um, often patients will ask me, "Is this normal?" And, and you, you know, and the answer is no. No. And can you explain
0: <laughs> what it is? Because I'm, I'm not 100% sure I, I know exactly what it is. So can you explain it? Because maybe sure. we're out here suffering from it and we don't have the language to say what it is.
1: Exactly. So it's medically called um, SUI, so Stress, Urinary, Incontinence. Okay. So stress it means by if there's any kind of maneuver that puts any kind of stress on the bladder, such as sneezing, laughing, running, jogging, exercising, um, that a woman will leak urine. Yeah. So we know it's very prevalent, or else manufacturers would not be making adult diapers such as the pens and, <laughs> and products like that, right? And then, and this is, and these commercials and, and it, it was just sending a message out that, hey, this is normal, you know, this yeah. it's okay. This is kind of what happens when you age. And this is kind of what happens if you have kids. Um, and so my message to women are, is that it's not normal. It's common, but it's not normal and you don't have to live that way. So that's what stress urinary incontinence is.
0: Yeah, thank you so much because, I didn't know exactly what the technical like language and terms were, but when you described it, I was like, oh, yeah, every woman talks about that. Like, oops, I sneezed, guys. And it's like, you know, oh, you right. know, we're, we're at spin class and it's not just sweat. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> the struggle is real. Um, right. You're 100% correct. The narrative around that has always been, oh, that's just how it is. Like, oh, I popped out two kids. Oh, I'm getting older. Oh, this is it. And when you're talking about like the commercials for like the Depends and things like that, just from like a, a capitalistic, almost commercial perspective, it's better for these businesses to keep women thinking that it's normal, because then they can sell all these products. But if I can go to Dr. Steve, you get, you know, get it fixed up, then I no longer need to buy and purchase all of these products. And it's no longer something that women just accept as part of being a woman. And I think it's really um, another thing that you said that I think was really insightful is that it's not normal, like just because something happens a lot, or or it's, or it's, just because something is common doesn't mean it's normal and I think that was a really great distinction because when it becomes common in our minds we normalize it like yeah my you know like my grandma when she sneezes oh my mom popped up some kids you know when it happens to her you know my good girlfriend when we're doing yoga her pants are a little wet you know it's just sort of it be it became normalized but having that happen to you actually isn't normal And so I think it's really great that you made that distinction. I know I didn't know that distinction. I know I I thought it was just like, oh yeah, that's just, that's going to happen in like 10 years or, you know, that's going to happen X, Y, Z, but, and it's good to know that there are options out there for us and that as women, we don't have to sort of just sneeze and cycle and pee in silence Mm -hmm. in all of those things. And it, And I think it's also a good indicator that if that is happening, since just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal to get checked out and to be honest with your doctor that that's happening to you, because maybe it is indicative of a bigger problem that's going on. You know, maybe it means that you do have like fibroids on your bladder and you don't know and you're peeing all the time and you just think it's normal, everyone pees a little bit when they laugh or you know, or whatever the case may be, that if that's happening to you, it's not normal, and you should get it looked at, and it is treatable as well. So I think those are some really, really um, good insights and distinctions to, to know, a hundred percent. And I know I've learned. So much, you know. Even as a woman, I've just learned. Well, you're a doctor, so, but yeah. But I've learned um, just so so much in this time that we've had together. So I just thank you so much for your insights, and I also really thank you for your compassion. You seem like a very compassionate doctor. That you think more about you, your patient's overall well being and whether or not this procedure is right for this particular patient. You know, sometimes, particularly, like, I live in LA, so, like, I know, like, the Beverly Hills, Newport area, sometimes it can be almost cookie cutter, like, everyone's like, oh, I want the Kardashian lips, or I want the Brazilian butt, or I want this, this, and this, but what I love about your practice is that you seem to really care about the individual patient, and what is that individual patient's unique needs for their particular life, rather than, like, give me Gina jolie cheeks, or whatever it is, so... That's been really refreshing and thank you for having that compassion for your patients.
1: Oh, you know, yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, I feel that um, part of my surgical consultation um, is not figuring out what the patient needs. It's also figuring out who does not need surgery at all Mm -hmm. Um, and educating them about that reason. And and just um, while we're talking about the urinary incontinence. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I like to add is currently the vast, vast majority of procedures are done to correct urinary incontinence uses a vaginal mesh material. I mean, I mean, have you heard of that and, and have you heard of a lawyer, the, the, the lawyer uh, commercials talking about suing their doctors about the mesh, vaginal <laughs> mesh, I'm sure you've heard of that.
0: Join our class action.
1: <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. Um, so. You know, I, I do a minimally invasive procedure that uses no mesh material at all to fix the incontinence. Um, so that's a that's one message that I like to send out is not all incontinence procedures surgeries have to involve the mesh.
0: That's good. That's good to know. And and if you think about it, just hearing the word mesh and vagina. <laughs> To me, it's like I don't like to me, I'm like mesh. I want like a mesh fabric dress. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Going inside of me or things like that. But um, I just also wanted to quickly recap some of the key uh, takeaways and insights that I learned from you. And I hope everyone listening has as well. Um, I think the first one was really have the invasive surgeries be your last resort, not your first resort. So if you are getting guidance that you need a hysterectomy or you need the mesh or you need these, you know, really big, scary, invasive surgeries, take a step back, educate yourself, find an expert in a space that is knowledgeable and compassionate, just like Dr. Steve Yu, and then be your own best self-advocate. Find out what the options are for something that is minimally invasive. You always want to start with the least invasive. And then unfortunately, if it has to escalate, then escalate to the next step. But always have those bigger surgeries as a last resort, not the first default. Um, Also, I love that you talked about uh, the different ways that we can treat fibroids. You gave us a couple of different ways. One was robotic. One was with the camera. Another one was with the heat. That doesn't eliminate, but it shrinks the fibroid and keeps it from getting uh, bigger. So there are options when it comes to that. I also love that you broke down the difference um, between what a hysterectomy should be and what it shouldn't be. Um, It's the removing of the uterus. So be sure that when you talk to your doctor that they just don't have sort of free will to remove your ovaries as well, because if that happens, you can have greater health repercussions down the line. Um, Also, another thing that we touched upon that I thought was really great was the male dominated um you know surgical or medical uh industry but there's more women coming into the fold so just maybe if you're a woman look for a woman or look for a compassionate and knowledgeable man and then again always just like be your own best advocate and then taking back the shame and stigma when it comes to our vaginal health whether that's vaginal rejuvenation if you want to get you know your inner lips, your outer lips, you want to get them, you know, kind of taken, shaved off or taken back just for your own quality of life. Or if you've had a child and you have sort of some stuff going on there with the rectum or the bladder, you have options and you shouldn't feel ashamed for wanting those options. And we should take away that stigma. You know, I think women, we're allowed to want our body to look a certain way and, We should also want to have sexual pleasure as well. So if those things are available to us, why not try them? So we kind of need to peel back the stigma and the shame around vaginal rejuvenation and any vaginal surgeries in that area. And then another thing that we touched upon was also removing the normalization around um, urinary in which is, you know, if you sneeze and you pee a little bit, or if you're on the bus and you jig a little way and like if the pee comes out or if you're biking or exercising or just, you know, moving your body in certain unexpected ways and you kind of pee a little bit, that has unfortunately been normalized, but it's not actually normal for the body, even though it's common. So we need to start speaking up. We need to start talking to each other. We need to start talking to our doctors, making sure that we're saying that, you know, if you go to your you know, annual, or if you go to your doctor, make sure to say, if you're experiencing that, put that down as a symptom, because sometimes when we think things are normal, we don't think of it as a symptom. So you may not go to the doctor and let them know, Hey, you know, sometimes when I sneeze or something happens, little pee comes out. If you think that's normal, it may not occur to you to let, to tell your doctor that's happening. Right. So have the awareness that that's not normal and it's not a sign of a healthy body. So be sure to write that down as a symptom and to um, be transparent with your doctor that, that that is happening to you because it could be a sign of something bigger. Or you could just do, you know, like Dr. Steve, you said, a minimally invasive surgery just to, you know, get rid of it. And you don't have to live wearing Depends or panty liners or wet spots in your yoga pants. Like, there's a better way to live, ladies. Um, so I think those were the key highlights and insights that I had. Again, in the show notes, we have all the information for Dr. Steve Yu, for you to connect with him and talk to him. And as you can see, he is knowledgeable and compassionate. So Dr. Steve Yu, did I miss anything? Is there anything more you wanna add?
1: Uh, you know what, you've really summarized it quite well. Um, I, the the only thing I have to add to that is, um, you know, often when, well, unfortunately, us, the consumers, we don't know who's a good surgeon and we, and, or who's not. And I'm um, reading all the Yelp reviews or whatever, that, that doesn't really help. Uh, so, and another thing is often trying to get into a doctor's appointment, we have to wait weeks. So, the first doctor we see, we kind of cling on to them, especially... Do when we're desperate with a problem, um, but I would just really encourage women to find a doctor, whether it's a second or third opinion, someone that they connect with, and ask the difficult question, are you an expert in that particular surgery or that particular issue, um, and when, when patients ask me, and when I'm not, I'm just open and honest, no, I'm not an expert an XY in X, Y, and whatever they're looking for but I'll refer them to who are experts on that. Um, and, and there's no shame in asking how many of these procedures, um, asking the doctor, how many of these procedures have you performed? Um, so our specialty is mixed, again, as you said, minimally invasive gynecologic surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first year where ABOG, which is the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, that's our medical board, has mm-hmm. um, offered experienced surgeons who have met the prerequisites to take an examination to be be, um, recognized as a expert, as a mixed surgeon. This is the first year that it's happened.
0: Wow.
1: Um, So maybe that's a question that um, that our audience could ask their uh, doctors. Are you a mixed, um, um, it's called a focus practice. uh, um, And are you recognized by the American Board of Special Gynecologists? Of having this recognition, um, so this year was the first year that I was offered. I was one of the, I was the first group of, of physicians who passed that examination. Um, so, not that that's so important, but I think the more important question is that that our patients find the doctors that they're comfortable with and ask them the difficult question: Are you an expert in that particular thing?
0: Yeah. No, I think that's great. Great advice. Like I don't know, it's a little tangential. But um, have you listened to or seen Doctor Death, the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. But yeah. it's, it's along these lines where there's this uh-huh. surgeon who sort of has this narcissistic bravado, but he doesn't actually have the um, the skill and the intelligence to perform these surgeries, and he sort of botches. All of them. And it was a, it was a really big podcast and like with all this stuff, but but it's, but in, uh, watching it and like hearing all of like the, the true life stories, what you're saying is spot on. A lot of what the patients did was they didn't listen to their gut. They felt like something was off with the doctor, but they didn't want to push back. So I think that what you're saying is 100% like find a doctor that, that you trust and be willing to ask the tough questions and be willing to walk mm. away and find a doctor that does check all the boxes, you know, even if you have to do a third or fourth opinion or consultation. So I think what you're saying is is spot on.
1: No, no absolutely. I mean, every, you know, when I used to train residents, um, I used to always, the message I used to tell them is that you have to be very Respectful, of this patient's under general anesthesia. Um, they're trusting us um, with her life. Um, so we have to be very respectful. And, and as surgeons, we have to take on cases that we know that we're experts at. And as a patient, you have to find a doctor that you feel that much trust with. It's literally your life that you're trusting the doctor with. So I don't think this is something that they should take lightly. I encourage everyone to get at least a second opinion um, just to get a feel. Uh, I mean, what is some of it? And, and ask that real difficult question. I can't stress how important that is. Ask your doctor point blank. Are they an expert in that field? And if you're talking about a particular uh, procedure, just ask them, how many have you performed? Okay. Mm-hmm. If they say three, you know, that's not enough. Not enough. You know? Yeah. That, that's just not enough. A couple of hundred, maybe that, that that's a solid number. Yeah. Okay. Um, but three, that that's just not enough.
0: Yeah, you'd be like a guinea pig for them. They're still getting their, their sea legs. And then also another um, red flag when filtering out the doctors is like we talked about before, if the doctor defaults to the most expensive, most invasive um, option for what you are under, to me, that's a bit of a red flag. You know, why are they defaulting to what's the most expensive and what's the most invasive when we should, you know, sort of try and start small and then escalate as needed.
1: No, a- absolutely, and then I must say, probably for every 200 surgeries that I do, probably one I would have to be used a bit, um, a large incision, one out of maybe
0: 200. Yeah, um, yeah. So it could be, yeah, right. mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Wu. This was very insightful and yeah i I learned so much and i think a lot of my listeners like we we cover a lot of self-care and wellness and i think a lot of them will start to sort of peel back that shame and stigma around asking those questions like hey why do i pee when i sneeze or you know why do my vaginal lips look like this or i should go talk to my doctor because you know why is this protruding in my stomach maybe those are fibroids And then now they're also empowered to know that they need to be their own best and first advocate, getting their own knowledge, going to someone that they trust, get second opinions, being confident enough to ask the hard questions, and really taking ownership of their health and their health care. Because it's a two-way street. The doctor has to be knowledgeable and compassionate. but But as patients, we also have to be our own advocates as well.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. So everyone listening, you can find Dr. Steve Wu over in Newport Beach. If you want to give us more details, you certainly can, but they are all listed in the show notes that will be um, available with this episode.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Absolutely. And for everyone listening, be well, and we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me and please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. Head over to Instagram and join me at Candy Washington. I can't
1: wait to hear from you.